Welcome to the Spirit of Leadership podcast. Listen in as we talk with emerging as well as seasoned leaders, changemakers, and visionaries, and hear their stories, how they have overcome challenges, how they cultivate inspired vision as stewards and mentors, shining their light to uplift and empower others reconnecting us through a sense of belonging to the natural world and to the interweaving circles of just and vital communities. Hello, Kathy Engel. I am so glad to have you here as a guest on our podcast, Spirit of Leadership. And to introduce you, I'd like to say to everyone, Kathy Engel is a poet, an educator, an activist, a cultural worker, a mother, very importantly, a mother, and associate arts professor in the Department of Art and Public Policy at Tisch School of Arts, NYU. And she's the founder with a group of women in 1983 and first director of the International Women's Human Rights Group, Madre. Her books include We Begin Here, Poems for Palestine and Lebanon, co-edited with the late Kamal Bulata. Her newest book is The Lost Brother Alphabet from Get Fresh Books. So welcome, Kathy. I am so looking forward to having this conversation with you and sharing it with our listeners. Thank you, Megan. Thank you for doing this beautiful podcast. It's such a, I love the title, The Spirit of Leadership, because, you know, we haven't had this conversation, but I believe there's every kind of leadership and that there's leadership in all of us if we pay attention and honor and nurture it and listen to it and listen for it. So I love that you're doing this. I love what you do and what you bring into our communities. It's uh, I learn a lot even when we're not around each other. I learn from knowing that you're here doing what you do. So I'm honored to be invited and proud of you for initiating something new when we're all so tired. Well, it's interesting when we get these ideas, they just light us up for some reason. And it's usually a reason bigger than we are, than we only discovered as we go along. And I appreciate that you're saying that about leadership being in all of us and I feel that's something that I really admire in you as an educator, because you are seeing that in your students and also in your communion with the people that your heart is in coherence with when I've witnessed those conversations and with your children. I love how they are developing and seeing how they're developing since I've known them since they were younger. And so in all those ways, I really feel that your leadership is through your drawing out the leadership in others and drawing out their authentic voices. So that is one of the main reasons that I wanted to have you here on the podcast. That is so lovely, Megan. I really am moved. Um, you know, no matter how, I don't know, I can't speak for anyone else, but for myself and those with whom I have these conversations, 
no matter what we do and how far we travel or what when we have to dress up and go somewhere or you know hold something back whatever it is it when you feel seen and heard it just it gives you it's like a little vitamins a little nourishment because we don't we don't know we just have to go we have to try to walk a path with integrity and as much honesty as possible knowing that that's a loaded word and for me you know i i don't it's funny i i don't really call myself a teacher but i you know i have that title because it's such a mutual process and it's such a an engagement of of feeding and listening and changing and and co-learning and that's I feel so honored to be in that. I feel so honored. I just, what's today? On Tuesday, uh, the 18th, I virtually attended our second virtual graduation celebration of a, the arts politics master's program in which I am fortunate to work and teach. And I actually have been on some sabbatical this semester, but I was with students in the fall and helping to invite them, usher them in throughout last summer. And um, I just was so uplifted and moved by what uh, these beings are doing with their imaginations and their courages and their insights and their steadfast research and analysis and critical thinking and, uh, and understanding of, and increased, increased, increased understanding of interdependence and the necessity of community. I was so uplifted as I always am. Um, and that is, I just realized that when people can for at times lose that uh, connection, it's, it can be hard to, to keep, keep the inspiration, keep the motivation because things are tough in the world. They're really tough. And so I'm so privileged to learn from people of so many different backgrounds and ages. And I know you're a teacher, so you know that you do that. That's what you know. We're so lucky, right? Yes, it's it's a wonderful way to have that interaction between other people, and it really is just providing that space for them to come into their own. And they do need that listening, that heart listening that you provide. It, yes, it's much more than just teaching. <laughs> and drawing that out from them so that they get the experience of being able to express that. And also, as you're saying, doing the research and gathering that information that's going to affirm what they are feeling already and seeing already. So I think it's wonderful that you're working with all ages. I assume they're not just all young people. No, I'm deeply committed to intergenerational community building and listening and working. I think it, for me, it's essential. And many of us, you know, have lived many lives before, I imagine, I imagine. But I'm deeply committed uh, to that. And in our program, we do have a, a mix. It's a graduate program. I also teach undergrads. And sometimes people come back to school after a long time and when you come back to school after a long time, you're so ready, you're so hungry, yes. you're so excited to be in that, in that um, space and that project of engagement. So yeah, and I, I would say to me, research is what you said. And further, you know, 
always the ability to live inside a question and mm -hmm. to live for the next question and to be ready to change your mind, which means changing your heart or shifting a little or letting go of something. And one of the things I challenge myself with, and I fail regularly, but I keep trying, is to let go of something uh, I was so sure about um, while, while holding my, my basic principles. Um, when I was talking to you before we turned on the podcast, I thought of something that I would love to share, if nothing else. And it kind of the sharing of it um, in this moment is a manifestation of sort of the way my life works. And I'm so fortunate. I received this a copy of this poem, which I had known before from a dear friend in South Africa, who's a poet and a healer and an educator. And with her partner hosts uh, a community of listening and caring on a farm in South Africa, which changed my life about a year and a half ago. And it's called La Leila. And I hope you listeners will look for it online. La Leila, a place of listening. And I was blessed to be invited to co-lead a, a um, retreat there in Collaborative Poetics in January 2020. So Maya Marie, who, who is the host uh, this morning, just sent me by WhatsApp this poem by Roque Dalton, who lived from 1935 to 1975. And it's translated from the Spanish by Jack Hirschman. And it says kind of everything I might want to say today, because that's what poetry does, Megan. You know, you're such a wonderful poet and you're married to them. So if you will allow me, and so I'm reading the English translation by the wonderful poet, Jack Hirschman. Like you, like you, I love, love life. The sweet smell of things, the sky blue landscape of January days. And my blood boils up and I laugh through eyes that have known the buds of tears. I believe the world is beautiful and that poetry like bread is for everyone. And that my veins don't end in me, but in the unanimous blood of those who struggle for life, love, little things, landscape and bread, the poetry of everyone. That's Roque Dalton. Wow, that is fantastic. That is such a gem of that experience of that, that common experience. And right there you have what poetry can give. That's right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Doesn't it just give you the chills? I mean, I was like, oh, you brought me right back home, uh, Maya, when you sent this this morning <laughs> over, over the seas. Yeah. It saves me every time. I mean, I don't mean that I need saving, but it, we all do, you know, so it just centers me, you know, it centers me in my, in my core, the way the ocean does, the way being in community does, the way watching John plant something and nurture it does, or listening to, you know, being with my daughters, that poetry is, poetry is a way of life. It's not, right? It's not, um, my best friend said to me once, uh, Alexis DeVoe, who is the great poet and scholar and thinker and visionary and, and the dearest friend a person could ever have over 40 years. I was sharing some struggles that I was having institutionally in terms of my role and who I am and how I walk into certain, you know, meetings of formal meetings in, in the institution where I work. 
And she said, well, how do you walk in? Do you walk in as a chair? At the time I was a chair of a department. Do you walk in as a chair or do you walk in as a poet? And she said, Kath, you have to walk in as a poet wherever you go. And, you know, it's just amazing how people can just zero in on the essence uh, of something. So, you know, for me, and I, I dare say, I imagine for you as well, I, I mean, poetry and social justice and community and healing uh, in the multiple ways that we interpret what that is, or wholeness, I would say, quest for wholeness and, and just respect. It's a way of being. Sometimes it comes out one way or sometimes it comes out another way. It might come out as a poem, it might come out as a plant, it might come out as a dance, it might come out just in a conversation. Exactly. You know, a conversation, think about the richness of, uh, you used the word authentic earlier, which is very beautiful. And someone used it with me just the other day. Yeah, the just to have a true, true meaning, not that there's a existential truth or an authoritative truth, but being true to what you know and, and dare and believe. Having that kind of exchange, imagine if we went around doing that more. And, and hurried less, and uh, we're so sure to have the answers less, or needed even the answers less. I think there would be such a vast culture shift. Yeah. Yeah, that, and I'm so glad that, you, that you're talking about that, because I realize as I'm listening to you saying that, that this desire to create this podcast is really to give a chance for people to participate in conversation by listening yeah. to the intimacy of conversation, you yeah. know, and talking about what really matters to us. Thank you. Thank you for saying that because it just fills my heart. Um, you know, my sister, one of, I have two sisters, they're both amazing. Um, and then I have sisters, other sisters, um, <laughs> but my educator sister, who you've met, who has an amazing, Susan Engel, she has an amazing new book called The Intellectual Lives of Children. Everybody should read it, I think, because it really tells us a lot. And she said years ago in talking about education, you know, that we need to talk with children and teach children about what matters and that it's okay to say what matters. Some, you know, and I've been saying this for a few years, you know, we've, we've been through some, we've been through some really huge existential and immediate and far-reaching crises in, as humans in this world. And we've, we've been in, you know, an amazing time. I don't even have the words. Uh, I do, I have poems, but I don't have the words really. And so to think every day, I, t I was saying to someone, uh, every morning I wake up, and I go through my rituals, which keep expanding and lengthening my prayers and my gratitudes and my haiku and my, you taught me to, you know, and then I got taught it again in South Africa to ask the tree, Megan, you first taught me that, to ask the tree, dear sycamore, may I put my hand on you? May I listen with you? And and in, in at Lalela, we always did that. But just saying in my rituals, but then I start my day and I try to remind myself to say what matters most. 
because there's a lot of things that we spend, we, you know, that just, when you comes right down to it in the context of pandemic and war and this white and white supremacy and misogyny and the, the, the rape of the earth, excuse me for saying it that way, but, or the, what, the beauty of what Sherry Mitchell, the indigenous leader and, and educator and organizer, a guide says, the myth of separation, you know, the violence of that. So it's so easy to be distracted by what doesn't matter that much. You know, what somebody said to me that made me annoyed, it doesn't really matter, you know, or that something broke in the kitchen or that I was late or, you know, or what, you know, what does matter? Like, as my dear friend and one of my mentors, the artist Valerie Maynard always said to us, it's all in a day. So each day is a lifetime. So what matters most? And so I love that you said that, that you're opening conversation. What could be richer, actually? What could be richer? Conversation is action. It is action. Because one is shifting the culture and shifting the, the tenor and the texture of, and you use the word intimacy too. Alexis, who I referred to, I will always refer to her. She's my, you know, she's my heart. Um, she started something called Artistic Intimacies. And for a few years before the pandemic, and then it had to be virtual, and now it'll go return. It's these intimate gatherings in one's home or backyard or front yard or porch, sharing what matters most to us and knowing how important that is, that it's not quantity. It's, it's the, you know, there's a time for that. I'm not saying that's not important, but that these intimate, like Grace Lee Boggs, the philosopher and activist talked about growing our souls. And she told Bill Moyers some years back she, when she was still here, uh, when she he said, how do you do that Grace with these huge challenges in the world? And she'd been an organizer for years and years. And she leaned over to him, she was in her nineties and how do you do that in the world, growing our souls? She leaned over, she looked at him, and you could not avert your eyes from Grace Lee Boggs' look. I mean, she was so intelligent, intense, loving, and knowing. Um, she said, just like this, Bill, just like this. And that was wow. right there. Wow. Hold on to that, right? So I would say that to you. Yes, Megan, thank you. And thank you for persisting because you know, it's so easy to just say, oh, I have to do this. But these conversations are, they are life. They are nourishment and they are activism. Yeah, because something comes out of them that couldn't come, it couldn't come into being without the people having the conversation. And each of those people on their own just thinking or being that is one that is an important factor obviously is being in your own inner depths but it's what comes out of the conversation between people who are experiencing those things and it brings out something that's even more and that's where the you know the interconnectedness that feeling of the wholeness of the interconnectedness conversation is so amazing that in the popular culture now people are interested in trees communicating and with the whole 
but it was not everybody, you know. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, that's been in the indigenous understanding for thousands of years. So it's just, it's just the famine of the imagination, the modern imagination, and the hunger is finally bringing people to understand that, you know, I mean, the trees have been here being for us (laughs) forever. So it's that ability to open up our ears and our hearts in be able to commune with each other and the glory of words and what poetry gives us that way of paring away what doesn't matter and just being able to just go right for what matters in the moment and also bringing forward all that you've experienced and what you bring to that moment and what you bring to your interactions with people and so I'm curious, because you've brought up that, that conversation is activism, and I'm curious what you would say the values that you are working to nurture in yourself and others through the activism, and be clear in stating that so that we can have something that we can take away in our sense of our own activism? Thank you for that question. You know, I don't even always use that word, by the way. I just, uh, I find, you know, we don't have the language, I don't have the language. So, and, and then the way language then gets incorporated often, maybe some language we've used, some of us have used a long time, gets incorporated into a popular vernacular in ways that are important because that means so many people are thinking about certain things and caring and being attentive at the same time it may some language may lose its or may shift or lose in context or lose its uh, power so sometimes i use that word it just means to act right but i'm always struggling with the language of how cuz i don't really know you know how to describe what it is that a a person does um because for me it's all connected uh, what I, the things that I do and care about, they're all connected. So what drives me, and I just want to say that I don't prescribe. I mean, there are so many ways to be alive and to be accountable and to be engaged. And, and there are many ways not to. So uh, I don't prescribe. I, I wouldn't, but I, I would invite and sometimes challenge on things that certainly I've had to push myself with, which is to look at who I am, what I'm, what I'm fortunate to be with and in and have access to, to uh, be very clear on, on, I'm trying to use words that aren't just like buzzwords uh, to be very clear on on my good fortune, but also, you know, what does it mean to be connected uh, to the to a world? And I don't even use the word nature anymore because we're all nature. You know, right. the question is, we just don't always act like we're all nature as people who have uh, identified ourselves as something called human. So I have. I've always been driven 
to uh, my parents, you know, taught me separately because they were also divorced uh, when I was young. But separately, they both had very strong sense of engagement, civic engagement, community engagement, societal engagement. And the idea that if you have a voice, you have a responsibility to use it. And that we're all responsible for what happens in the world as much as we can, you know, in the ways that we can. They're very different ways. So, and they they had kind of strong ethics, sense and strong work ethics. And so what drives me is pushing myself to look at truths and hard truths, um, really hard truths at times. And to drive myself, I mean, you know, a lot of times I'd rather be sitting right here where I am or at the ocean. And I do that. I'm very fortunate. I'm privileged. I am. But at times I have to, uh, for me, for who I am, I have to speak when I don't feel like speaking because I'm actually shy, you know, and I always think I'm in, inarticulate, but I've forced myself and taught myself. And I'll tell you a story about that to speak the things that seemed to me important to speak about injustice, to try to do it responsibly, and to speak about my own responsibility as a, as a being who takes up space and food and, and water on this planet, which means that, you know, and the planet is, it, we are not living equitably. So even living here in this place on Eastern Long Island in this house that uses too much energy, I have to know that that's off the backs of other people. So at the beginning is at least to look at it. What drives me also is the, the beauty of how we can communicate and connect, whether it's through a poem, a song, a meditation, a planting, or, at, or standing in the streets, or knocking on doors, or creating policy. I think policy should be written by poets, by the way. Yes. Good. Um, you know, I think that I agree with you. you know, the imagination, uh, we, I, I think we will be so much better off as a species and a world when we honor the imagination in all that we do. Not the only thing, but it's not separate. You know, and this notion of these labeled and boxed and, and separated fragmented ways of being, that's a way of holding back power. That's a way of controlling. And that has very much in my mind to do with capitalism and settler colonialism and what, you know, westernized way of thinking that's developed over, over time, which doesn't mean throw that westernized thinking is all, I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm just saying, I think those ways uh, being have a lot of damage. So yeah, that what drives me is, you know, a sense of responsibility and also a sense of dreaming and imagining and knowing from the past and also dreaming into the future of what can be and the beauty of connecting and working together, but also, you know, living with the pain. Donna Haraway has this book, okay, Staying with the Trouble. And, you know, I have to look every day at white supremacy and say, what is my job here? My job isn't telling other people what to do. It's being honest, with my, you know, with my own complicity and my own vision and my own desire and in the complexity and then figuring out what, what can I do? What can I do with others? What can I say? 
when I see what's happening in Gaza, you know, I've been active as an American Jew and as a poet and as just a conscious human, caring human being since 1982. You know, it is, it is devastating. It is devastating that it is still, but I'm not in Gaza, so as devastated as I might feel, I can't just be devastated. Look at the people in Gaza. Look at people all, all around the world uh, who have been exiled. I have dear friends who, you know, they can't go back to Bethlehem. They can't go back to Jerusalem. They can't go back to Hebron, um, to Gaza. Uh, so at this moment, I'm obsessed. I can't, I can't, I can't not be. It's my responsibility. It's my passion. It's my love. I have a pedagogy of love. And, you know, it's very easy. You know how the kids say, oh, that's cheesy. This is cheesy. I don't care. I'm old. I don't care. You know, nothing. I heard a beloved uh, poet sister say the other day, you know, in the, you know, it is, it is about love. And what kind of policies can we make with that? You know, it's intelligent love, it's informed love, it's enduring love, it's, it's fallible love, it's complex. But I, I, I will, I stood, I stood, I have a horse, some horses as neighbors and I, now I go and talk to them in the morning too, because I have a history with horses and I think they're very, they carry a lot. You know, and so I asked the Bay Mayor, I got to hold it together when I say this, and I know we're running over time. I asked her, I said, I, you know, my language is failing me, my actions are failing, and it's not about me. You know, it's, it's about, I mean, over 60 children are dead in Gaza, and people are afraid to speak. What are they afraid of? They say it's too complicated. What is so complicated? So I asked her, I said, you beautiful horse, will you carry a message for me mm -hmm. to the mothers in Gaza? Mm -hmm. Will you gallop and swim across seas for me? Because you're a horse and you know, you know war, you know freedom, you know, you know harness, you know. You know from the caves, you know. Will you please gallop? Because also horses, you know, we all know horses. We know them on every land. Just help me out here because I'm not doing a good enough job, you know, as a human here. And so that's, that's where I am today. Mm -hmm. That's where I am today. And that's my obsession. Um, I'm obsessed with interconnectedness. I do. I gain... I gain nourishment. And right now I'm sitting outside looking at these trees that John planted, you know, and I will go to the ocean. I'm so lucky. But when I'm in the city, I go to the river and I talk to my father who passed in 2008. I say, dad, I'm at the Hudson. I know you love the Hudson so much. You love Pete Seeger so much. You, you loved all the changes and the urban beauty too. I will go and talk to him. I'll talk to my brother. I'll talk to Kamal Bulata and Sophia Henderson Holmes and Ingrid I will talk to those who passed and listen for guidance. My practices uh, was named by my best friend, Alexis DeVoe, Collaborative Poetics, and that's where I am right now, in Collaborative Poetics. It's what guides me, and my daughters guide me. 
and my grandmothers who aren't here and my mother and my sisters, but it is collaborative poetics, the notion that it's a way of being that is not separate from these trees, from yoga that you do. No, not separate at all. All, all one. And, and I, I do think just, uh, I do think that for me, activism and social justice is um, a spiritual practice. For me, it is not separate from a spiritual, it is a spiritual practice to be engaged with community, to be engaged across the seas, to put my body at times, to put my words clumsy as they are, to put, it's just to, to figure out with a group of people, how do we come to an agreement even when we disagree on a lot of things? That's a spiritual practice for me, as well as an intellectual and political and poetic practice, both and. It's so moving to hear you speak. I'm really deeply moved and that you're so engaged with that process. It's an internal process and it's a with, with the world process so that that isn't even separate. And you're speaking to the, to the Bay mare and, you know, speaking to her with that language that is your love language and that is what is so deeply helpful in being a poet is like breaking those bounds of how do we speak? What is okay to say and how mm. to interact with the world? Like actually speak to the Bay Mayor and ask her to help you. And not only that, to actually gallop where you want her to gallop. You know, it's like, the power of that is so deep. It's so deep. So I really appreciate how you've expressed yourself. And I'm so glad that you just went for this whole stream of how it's all interconnecting with your life and your heart and that it comes down to love. And I just want to honor and say that I feel so grateful to bear witness to the love that you are, that you, that you express, but you are in your being. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me and for doing this work. And I hope to see you soon. Spirit of leadership